So my name is Mohamed Allo. Uh, can you all hear me? Is it picking up? I'm a cardiologist with Mercy. Um, this was not actually planned. I don't know. <laughs> the turquoise color of the shirt. I don't want you to think I'm insane. Um, but that was not really planned. It's just what I wore uh, to work this morning. Um, in fact, even my cards, I put all those on your table, they're almost the same color too, which is really strange. Um, but we have an office here in, at Henry County Hospital as well as Wauseon and uh, Defiance. Um, I was asked to talk about um, women's health or, or women's heart disease. So when you guys think of the term uh, women's health, what, do, what does that usually mean to you? It can mean a lot of things. It could be like mostly obstetrics and gynecology and those kind of things. But I think the, the thing that we're going to be talking about today mainly is uh, heart disease. So just statistics-wise, and I'm sure you all know the answer to this, but what is the number one killer of women in, in this country? Heart. Or all over the world, really. Heart. heart. How, many, how many women die every year of heart disease? 300,000, 600,000 people a year die of heart disease, and about half of them uh, are female. Now, it used to be much worse. Of all the people that died of heart disease back in the 80s and 90s, 55 to 60% were female. Um, but then we started getting more and more aggressive about women's heart health, and, and they started this whole Go Red for Women campaign, raising awareness, and now the numbers have evened up. Actually, it's even better. 51, 52% of the population is female, but only 48% um, of all cardiac deaths are actually uh, female. So we're doing better uh, than the men. So that has helped a lot. It, it used to be back in, in the 80s and 70s when they do studies, they would never include women. It would be like only 10% of the study uh, was female or only like 20%. But now they've changed the laws and the FDA requires that you have to have a population in your study that matches the general public. So you have to have X number of people who are diabetic and half and half male and female people in this age or that age, whatever it might be. So they made it so that all the studies now test men and women uh, together. Um, the other problem has always been that fe females and women don't feel heart attacks or don't get heart, heart disease the same way a man does. In men, you know, they all get the squeezing, achy chest pain. It goes down into your arm and, and you know, you start getting sweaty and hot and, and all that. In women, you might not get any of those things. You might, you might just feel a little short of breath, a little fatigue just a little off kilter, you might not be feeling the same way uh, that you normally feel. And, you, and, and a lot of times, uh, medical professionals ignored it. And they used to say, oh, well, she's just having a panic attack, or she's just crazy, or, you know, this is, you know, this is just how she is. And the husbands didn't help either. They're like, oh, she always gets this. You know, she's just having a stressful day or whatever. And obviously, that's not true. Um, but nowadays, medical professionals are even trained in medical school to listen. When they say they're short of breath or fatigued or just not feeling right, you have to actually treat this as if it's possibly a heart attack or something serious. You gotta think worse first. Um, so we've gotten a lot better at treating heart disease. Um, how many women die every minute of heart disease? Worldwide, it's one every minute. Every minute, one uh, female dies of heart disease. Um, another interesting statistic is that 90% of females, 90% of us, all of you, but <laughs> 90% of you have at least one risk factor for heart disease. All right, and then you can just think about all the various risk factors, but 90% of women have at least one risk factor for heart disease. You could say the same thing for men. 90% of all men do as well. Um, but so what are the risk factors of heart disease? We'll go through all the different risk factors and what you can do about it. So what are they? What, what leads, what kind of things lead to heart disease or put you at risk for heart disease? The whole point is to try to 
prevent it, ultimately not get it, but what, what kind of things cause it? Genetic high blood pressure. What is it? She's a high blood pressure. High blood pressure, good, that's one of the main ones. Genetics. Cholesterol, genetics, they give you all these things. Obesity. Obesity. Smoking. Smoking. What else? Did somebody say diabetes? Diabetes, okay, good. So all of those things. So if we had to sum this talk up, let's say we had to give a top 10 things uh, that you can do to prevent heart disease, what would they be? If you, had, if you had to pick 10 things you could do to prevent heart disease, what would those 10 things be? Exercise. Somebody said exercise. Diet. That wouldn't be number one. Diet wouldn't be number one. Disown your family. <laughs> uh, disown your family. Okay, you could disown your family, but that wouldn't be number one. Stop smoking. Stop smoking would be number one. Smoking gives you 20 times uh, higher risk of uh, heart disease than the general population at your age and your exact conditions. If we took your exact twin, same body weight, same cholesterol, same blood pressure, same everything, and we made them smoke, they'd have a 20%, 20 times higher rate of heart disease than you. What would be number two? Stress. Stress relief, no. So number two would also be stop smoking. Number three would be stop smoking. Number four would be stop smoking. All the way down to 10. The top 10 things you can do to improve your heart health would be to quit smoking. Um, all this other stuff, if we put it in one tiny small bucket like diet, exercise, weight loss, blah, 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 you know, control your blood pressure, that's a very, very small uh, contributing factor. Sure, it all contributes, but if you had to put it all uh, and look at, you know, prioritizing everything, the top 10 things you should do to prevent heart disease are 1 through 10, quit smoking, and then uh, eat right, get, stay near your ideal body weight, and all, all that other stuff, controlling your genetic risk factors, yes? Where does um, secondhand or thirdhand smoke come in? It almost all is the same. If you live with heavy smokers, um, it's almost the same thing. We, I've had patients that are in their 30s, never smoked in their life, but they lived with a three-pack-a-day smoking mother for almost 20 years of their life. Um, so it, it's almost the same. And a lot of people feel like, well, if I go outside and smoke and then come back inside, it's okay. It's not because it's still on your clothes, it's in your breath, it's in your hair, um, it's everywhere. So smoking definitely is, is the top uh, priority. Um, I, one thing I always tell people, I've never had a patient have a heart attack that wasn't either a smoker or heavily exposed uh, to smoke. It's nearly impossible almost to have a heart attack or stroke if you're not a smoker. I mean, I'm sure that it happens, but it's very, very uh, rare. Um, so let's talk about uh, hypertension. What's a normal blood pressure? 120 over 70. So officially it's 115 over 75. It's very, very close. 115 over 75 is considered normal. For every 20 over 10 higher than that, your rate of stroke doubles. So if you add 20 to 115 and you're 135, you're twice as likely to have a stroke as a person who's at 115. You add another 20 and your blood pressure is 155, you're four times more likely uh, to have a stroke. Now, the problem with blood pressure is like somebody said, it's genetic. 95% of people who have high blood pressure have high blood pressure because of nothing other than they were just born with it. There are things you can do to improve it, um, you know, not eating a, a high salt diet, eating the DASH diet or whatever to reduce hypertension, but you're not going to make it go down all that much. You can help it significantly, um, but unfortunately you're born with it. The other 5% of high blood pressure are caused by other things. Some people have really tight art, renal arteries or kidney arteries when they're born. Um, some people have a, a tumor on top of their kidneys that secretes aldosterone. Um, some people have a tumor in their intestines that secretes a lot of adrenaline. Uh, but those are very, very rare. 
One issue that's coming up more recently, it's becoming more and more common, is something called obstructive sleep apnea. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, um, but as the rates of obesity uh, get higher and higher, or even just being overweight, um, when you sleep at night, your body paralyzes you from the neck down so you don't get up and act out your dreams. Um, but your neck, your neck and the weight on your chest collapses your airways, so you're not getting enough oxygen into your bloodstream, so your body secretes a ton of adrenaline, or epinephrine in medical terms, to wake you up, it makes your heart race, it makes you short of breath, you wake up gasping for air as if you're in a fight. Um, and then that rush of adrenaline every night, 15, 20 times per minute or per hour, um, causes your, your blood pressure to go up because it, it you know, causes your heart to race and it can give you ultimately heart failure. But it gives people very, very high uh, blood pressure. If you fix the sleep apnea, most of the time these people with these secondary causes of blood pressure, it'll get better. Um, so that's one issue that's coming up more. What percentage of the country is overweight, by the way? 75. 75 is very close. 79% of the country is overweight, and, and what percent is obese? Huh? What percentage is considered obese, which is a BMI of 30 or higher? And that's just how much should you weigh for your heart? 35. 39%, very close. 39% of our country is, is considered obese. Um, but we'll get to weight loss in a little bit. So high blood pressure, you know, it's a genetic thing. Most of the time you need to be on uh, medications uh, to get it down. There's some things you can do to help it. Um, the other very important thing is uh, cholesterol. This is another genetic thing. So let's say you were born with high cholesterol. You go see your doctor, even if you're just 20 years old, and your cholesterol is 250. Right? We all know you got to be under 200. You go see your doctor and it's 250. They tell you, give it three months change your diet around, do what you can, let's see what you can get your cholesterol down to. What's the most you can lower your cholesterol by eating perfectly and exercising? If you did everything perfect, like your doctor gave you a prescription, here's what you're allowed to eat, here's what you can eat, do this and run and exercise every single day. If you did everything perfectly, how much could you lower your cholesterol by? Zero. What percent? Not zero. 10? 10%. 10%. 10, 10, 10. Anybody say 70? Really? No, it's not. That's wrong. <laughs> You're right. It's, a, it's about 15%. The, the best studies they've done where they modified people's diets, they were able to lower it by about 18%, but most of the studies show right around 16 to 18%. So if you did everything perfectly, and I mean like absolutely perfectly, you could get your cholesterol down by about 15 to 18%. So if you're 250, you could probably get just right around 200 or maybe maybe a hair less. So it's still not that good. Um, so if you were to want to modify your diet, what would you do to lower your cholesterol? What, what do they tell you to do? Like if you, if you had a friend and they told you, I need to lower my cholesterol, what should I eat? What would you tell them to eat or not eat? Eat eggs. Eat fruits and vegetables. Okay, what, what should you not eat? Because, you know, eating fruits and vegetables is very good for you, but there are certain things that will raise your cholesterol if you eat them. What are they? Eggs and red meat, probably. Red meat is one of them. Eggs to a certain extent. But, but, but if the, 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 what you have to do is you have to not eat saturated fats. If you have to remember one word, it's saturated fats. It's not cholesterol. A lot of people think that if you eat cholesterol, your cholesterol is going to go up. And that's not actually true. They've studied that. They took people and they overfed them cholesterol. Nothing bad happened. Their cholesterol profile stayed about the same. Their healthy cholesterol actually did go up. Their HDL went up. 
Um, so that wasn't an issue, but it's saturated fat that's the problem. So what's a saturated fat? <laughs> it's a big word, but what is it? Not oil. Margarine. Butter. Margarine, butter. Okay, so here's the best way to remember it. It's fat that's solid at room temperature. All right, so butter, cheese, bacon, chicken skin, fat on steak, when you take the steak out of the fridge, all that white stuff around it, or ribs or whatever, all that white fat, solid fat is, is saturated fat. If you cut out saturated fat, you can actually lower your cholesterol, but only about that you know, 15% or so. So it's saturated fat that's the trick. Milk is tricky because it's, it's solid fat particles but floating around in a liquid emulsion, they call it, or suspension. Um, that's the only one that looks like liquid. Uh, but it's solid fat particles floating around in a liquid. Whole milk is four or five percent fat, and then you got the two percent and the skin, and then you know eventually the zero. Um, you don't have to drink milk, but that would raise your cholesterol. It's the only one that's tricky because it's liquid. But almost everything else is a solid fat. Now margarine. Somebody said the word margarine. What is margarine? Margarine is like a fake butter. Everyone was, was told at some point in time that, oh, butter is bad for you, you don't eat it. So we we're like, oh, let's make this fake butter. So we made this white stuff, call it Cisco down in the south, but it's really margarine. Uh, but it's uh, the, the Crisco or that margarine, what is it? It's one molecule away from being considered plastic. It's actually, it's a trans fat, uh, which is the worst kind of fat. And the reason for why trans fats are bad is because they in increase inflammation and they accelerate atherosclerosis, they accelerate heart disease. Um, so trans fats, and especially something like margarine, um, should not be a part of anybody's diet. I mean, lots of countries have banned trans fats, and nowadays you see on all these chips and everything, it says zero trans fats, zero trans fats, and that's why, because it's very atherogenic, it, it, it damages your arteries, and it causes um, heart disease. So what they boil heart disease down to is inflammation. All right, what happened, why does blood pressure cause heart disease? Not because the pressure is bad, but the pressure causes, you know, you've got your arteries and there's really high pressure going through it. It tears the arteries, it shears the walls, it causes damage, mm -hmm. and then the cholesterol comes in to fill the damage. So the cholesterol, to a certain extent, is like an innocent bystander. He sees damage and he goes to try to patch it up, but that thickens the inside of your arteries and there's not enough space left for the blood to flow. So it's this inflammation that causes this, and lots of things lead to it, eating saturated fats, having diabetes. Um, being obese, just the fat in your body from obesity is very inflammatory. So we got to try to reduce all these things. Um, anybody have any questions on cholesterol at all? So how can you raise your HDL or your healthy cholesterol? Exercise. Exercise is one way, and there's only one other way, really. Exercise. Not exercise, but, that, but that's very good thinking. I like your train of thought. What is it? Olive oil. Olive oil. No, there's a vitamin, it's a B vitamin called niacin. Um, niacin is, is the only other thing that's really been shown to increase your uh, good cholesterol. Now, you, you have to be on it for years. It's not like you take it for 10 minutes or a month or two and then suddenly your HDL comes up. You have to be on a pretty good dose for at least a year and a half before we see your uh, HDL come up. Um, it does cause flushing and sometimes people don't like it, but that means it actually contains niacin. When, when you flush and get that hot feeling, you're actually, that means whatever you took actually really has niacin and that's what it does. So we tell people, take an aspirin, hour later take your niacin and just go to sleep. Just <laughs> let that happen while you're sleeping. You don't worry about it. And the aspirin seems to dull that effect. Um, so that's why we do that. Small amounts of um, wine have also been shown to raise your HDL. Not fully proven and not, you know, multiple studies are a little different. 
Um, but grape juice with Concord grapes also has the same effect. Um, so that that's the uh, that's the long and short of it. Do you have any questions on cholesterol? So the only other risk factor that, that can lead to heart disease is a big one. It's called diabetes. What percentage of the population has diabetes? 60%? It seems like it, right? 50%? No, it's not that high. Um, it's only about 9%. Um, it's not that high. Um, but the numbers are going up. It used to be, it's severely underdiagnosed because of the way they, they diagnose it. The CDC last year in February said that 39 million Americans know they have type 2 diabetes. And we're only talking about type 2. 39 million Americans know they have type 2 diabetes. 79 million have it and don't know it. So the numbers are a lot worse, and it's severely underdiagnosed. A lot of times, those 79 million or those extra 80 million that don't know they have it, it's because their doctor hasn't told them yet. It's our fault. Um, their blood sugar is high, but it's just not that high. Or you know, their blood sugar is on the border, and they've been told they have borderline diabetes. But the problem with that is you're, you're telling people that they're fine, and you're not. Um, diabetes type 2 is insulin resistance, all right? Your body uh, makes insulin, uh, unlike a type 1. Type 1 don't make insulin, they need to inject themselves. But type 2, your body makes insulin, but all your cells are resistant to it. Imagine if there's a huge basketball or football player standing on the side of that door, and I, little me is trying to push through that door and I can't get through. I make more and more insulin, and finally you overcome the resistance and push through. So your pancreas for a long time can make more and more and more insulin until it finally gives up, and then that's when we most of the time diagnose people with type 2 diabetes. So it's a genetic disorder. Um, we know the inheritance pattern of it. Your mom or dad has to have it. There's no way you can get type 2 diabetes unless mom or dad has it. Um, now there are things you can do to improve it, but I think the biggest problem, the biggest <coughs> hurdle is most, most doctors even, they tell the patients that it's your fault you have type 2 diabetes. You ate too many jelly donuts. Um, <laughs> and that's why you got it. And that's not actually true. We have people that eat jelly donuts all day and weigh 600 pounds. They're not diabetic. 9% of the population is diabetic, 80% of the population is overweight, 40% is obese, only 9% has diabetes, and we know how it's inherited. So they've done studies on newborns, and they've actually been able to demonstrate insulin resistance in newborns. So when they give them a sugar load and you test their, their, their insulin levels and all this, they've been able to demonstrate it in newborns. The problem is we don't diagnose it till way later until you finally can't make enough insulin uh, anymore. Your pancreas kind of gets tired or you, you get too big and you're too insulin resistant, whatever it might be. We used to diagnose type 2 diabetes at age 51, now it's 41. And now we're even seeing it in teenagers um, because of people being overweight. Um, so there are things that make it better. Staying close to your ideal body weight helps. Um, but there are certain things that worsen it or bring it about sooner. If I was born with the genes for type 2 diabetes, I didn't know I had it. If, if I became really large or didn't exercise, or if I got pregnant, pregnancy or any kind of stress, uh, or if you put on steroids or hormones like birth control pills or inhalers for asthma, if you put on steroids or any kind of stress or, or pregnancy, those kind of things can bring about your insulin resistance sooner. Like a lot of females get diagnosed with gestational diabetes. They're stressed, their cortisol levels are higher, um, you know, they have to feed two people instead of one, whatever it is, it's a huge amount of stress on the body. So gestational diabetics, um, are insulin resistant, they are type 2 diabetics, and almost all of them, 70%, um, will end up developing it if, if, if they continue. But a lot of times, once you lose the weight, your hormone levels go down, your stress levels go down, you lose weight as well, 
and, and it kind of gets delayed even further. But if you were to gain weight and stay inactive and not do anything, it will come back. It's just a matter of time. So the, my biggest pet peeve is that doctors blame their patients a lot of times. Like, you know, you shouldn't have ate so much growing up. Like, there's people that are skinny. They weigh 100 pounds and they have type 2 diabetes. It's not something they gave themselves. Um, so I don't really uh, like that at all. Um, so we have to treat that aggressively because diabetes is the single worst disease you can have. All right, and I tell that to everyone. You have really, really high sugar levels floating through all your arteries, going to all your organs. It goes to your brain, it goes to your legs. It's the number one cause of blindness worldwide. It's the number one cause of amputations, even in our country, um, not just in third world countries. It's the number one cause of heart failure. It's the number one cause of lots of things. You have high, high, high sugars floating around, going to all your organs and eating them up from the inside out. Um, the good news is none of that has to happen. You don't have to get the kidney failure. You don't have to get the dialysis. All of those long-term consequences go away if we treat it early and get your blood sugars down to normal. It's a long, chronic exposure to high sugars um, that causes all this. So I'm really, really aggressive about my patients getting their sugars down. Um, part of your cholesterol panel is called triglycerides. You ever, when you get your cholesterol panel back, and they, uh, you get this thing called triglycerides. And what is a triglyceride? Do you guys know? It's a piece of fat, it's a fatty acid chain, a piece of fat connected to three sugars. It's three sugar molecules connected to a piece of fat. So a lot of times doctors will send me their patients and say, hey, he's got high triglycerides, what do you want to do? There's all kinds of things you can do to, to put people on something that will artificially lower their triglycerides. You can put them on uh, fish oil, you can put them on um, gemfibrozil or tricor and all these like phenofibric acid derivatives. You can put them on all kinds of stuff to artificially lower their triglycerides. But most of the time their triglycerides are high because their blood sugars are high or their diabetes are not controlled well enough. So I get a lot of patients with, with these high triglycerides and, and their doctors are telling me, you know, hey, fix this guy's triglycerides. Well, he has a diabetes, that's his problem, and it's not well controlled or he hasn't been diagnosed yet. A lot of times, you know, they tell you if your blood sugar is over 100 but still not over 125, you're borderline diabetic. But realistically, anybody who's fasted 12 hours, their blood sugar should never be over 100. I mean, you get these people that fast for 12 hours and go get their blood blood tested and they come back with a sugar of 109. That's not normal, all right? People who've been fasting for 12 hours, their sugar's like 70, um, you know, 80 at the most. Unless they, they have some sort of insulin resistance, then it'd be like in the 90s or higher. So just because they haven't hit that 125 mark, which is what we use to tell people they're diabetic, that doesn't mean they're not insulin resistant. They have insulin resistance and they're progressing the sooner you get their numbers down and get them on something, the better. All right, so unless you have a genetic problem where your triglycerides are over 500, which very few people have, um, you don't need those highly specialized medications. You're just taking extra pills for no reason. You gotta get your sugars down and that'll fix your triglycerides. I have a question about with the cholesterol. My husband had a stroke a year ago. Yeah. And um, they said that now the normal cholesterol has been cut in half. Say that again? Because what we want his normal to be, yes. So somebody who's had a stroke or a heart attack or diabetic, if you're a high-risk patient, which means you've had a stroke or a heart attack, you've had a carotid endarterectomy, abdominal aortic aneurysm, or peripheral artery disease, just imagine all your arteries. They're all connected. The ones that go to your brain that give you strokes, the ones in your heart, your aorta going down, your, your inside of your stomach, and the ones in your legs, plus diabetes. Any arterial disease like a stroke or carotids or any of that plus diabetes, you're considered high risk. So your LDL, your bad cholesterol has to be under 70. Most of the time we tell people it needs to be under 130. 
So in that, in that people, they have a higher risk category. They've already had a heart attack, already had a stroke, are already diabetic. Their LDL needs to be much, much lower than the general public. So that is, that is correct. Any other questions on those two? Well, if you think of any, just raise your hands. Um, the other important thing is staying close to your ideal body weight. Um, how do you do that? You know, let's say you wanted to lose weight. It's a very good question, right? Almost all my patients ask me that question every day. Um, how do you lose weight? So let's say I gave you two options and you can only pick one of the two. Diet or exercise. Who votes for diet? Two people, three, four, five. Who votes for exercise? Almost everybody, the, the rest of the room. So here's, here's how it breaks down. 85% of your body composition is related to your diet. All right. The other 10, 15% you can affect with exercise. So if you wanted to lose weight and get down to your ideal body weight, um, you could do all of that. You can get to within 90% of your ideal body weight or your goal weight, whatever your goal is. Ideal body weight is hard to get to, but whatever your goal weight is, let's say you want to weigh 130, 140, you can get to that just by changing your diet. You don't have to lift a single finger. Um, you don't have to do any exercise whatsoever. There are things you can do that will accelerate it, but you don't have to. All right, and I tell all my patients that if you stop eating, you will definitely lose weight. All right? And I don't mean literally. I mean, you know, I don't mean to stop eating. I mean, definitely cut way back and, and eat much better choices. Um, and there's a diet I put all my patients on. I, I've had people lose like 85 pounds or, or even more. They never even lifted a finger. You don't have to do any exercise to lose weight. Now, don't go home and tell everyone, oh, the cardiologist said I don't need to exercise. No, you do need to exercise, but it's not required for weight loss. All right, exercise and getting your heart rate up and all those things are great for you, but it's not required for weight loss. If you stop eating, and I mean not stop, but cut weight back, you will lose weight, all right? But that's the trick. How do you get people to stop eating? It's not that easy. It's just like smoking. It's an oral addiction. Even if you take away the nicotine, they're used to reaching for something and putting it in their mouth. They get in the car, they're used to grabbing something. We're here, and you can't have an event without food. Funerals, birthday parties, graduation parties, dinners like this. You can never get away from food. It seems like we plan our lives around food. Um, we need to think of that differently. But it attracts people. That's why you're all here. Um, but anyways, we have to we have to cut weight back. No. Okay. Well, thank you. You're being very generous. So, cutting weight back on on food obviously is is probably the only thing that you need to do. But let's say you wanted to exercise. What type of exercises cause weight loss? Name, name some off. Walking. Walking. Aerobics. Aerobics. Mm -hmm. So that is not actually true. Aerobics, and, and well, certain kinds of aerobics. Walking is not exercise. In order for something to qualify as exercise, so here's the definition of exercise. And my patients hate me when I tell them this, but walking is not exercise. Now sure, if you never moved in your life, and you get up to walk, it'll increase your heart rate. But in order for an exercise to count as exercise, you have to reach between 60 to 80% of your age predicted maximum heart rate. And it's, it's easy to do. You take 220 minus your age. So let's say you're a 20 year old. 220 minus 20 is, 20, is 200. A 20 year old can get their heart rate up to 200. So be, they need to get their heart rate between 60 and 80% of 200. So they need to be like in the 130 to 170 range, somewhere in there, for it to count as exercise. Now, when I walk, my heart rate never reaches 170. Um, you know, I, and I don't think I'm a well-conditioned marathon runner or anything, but I guarantee you, if you all walk, your heart rate never reaches 60%. Um, of course, 
Walking is better than not doing anything, um, but it's not technically exercise. Now, if you're one of those like mall walkers, just doing like really brisk walking and putting all their effort into it, then fine, your heart rate is going up. But those are the aerobic exercises that count, you know, on a bike or walking vigorously or jogging. Um, but it doesn't burn very many calories. So aerobic exercises is not a very efficient way of burning calories. Let's say you ran uh, three miles. Anybody ever run a 5K? Okay, a few hands here and there. How much, a 5K is 3.1 miles. How long did it take you to do that? Don't say two hours, please. She said too long. Too long, okay. I missed one of the words. So most, yeah, most people, it takes them about 40 minutes. Well, you must be a lot better than most people, but most people about 40, 45 minutes. Sometimes they have the cutoff at an hour so that if you don't finish it within an hour, they kind of cancel your score. But let's say you do it in 30 minutes. You know, you're, you're pretty well conditioned. You can finish it in 30 minutes. I ran a 5K a year ago. I did it in 31 minutes, um, which is okay. But if you take 31 minutes to do a 5K, a 200-pound person, how many calories will you burn running those three miles um, if you weigh 200 pounds? 300 calories. Mo a 200-pound person, if you ran, <laughs> jogged, for three miles, you'd burn 300 calories. So if you took that same 200-pound person and you made them do squats for two minutes, and you guys, y'all know what a squat is? You just go down like this and back up again. You do that for two minutes, you burn 300 calories. Two minutes versus 40. Two minutes versus 40 minutes. All right. So in order. In order to burn more calories, you have to use your large muscle groups and you have to do resistance training. Now, you don't have to put weights on or be a bodybuilder or anything. You could use your own body weight. Some people that have bad knees, you don't have to go all the way down to the ground and come up. Just pretend there's a chair behind you. Just act like you sat on the chair and stood back up again. If you did that for two minutes, you'd burn 300 calories, which is way more efficient than running for three miles. The other thing you could do the other thing you could do is not eat a plain bagel with cream cheese. <laughs> one plain bagel with cream cheese is 320 calories, the Panera version. I don't know about the other ones. But Panera, uh, plain bagel with cream cheese, 320 calories. So pick what you want. But if you want to burn calories by doing exercises, you've got to do resistance training. And it has to be a large muscle group, whether it's your legs, your chest or your back. Those are the biggest muscle groups. The legs are the best because um, squats have been studied in multiple studies. They, they took young rugby players, 22 to 26 years old. They made them do just squats and they checked testosterone levels before, after, and every 15 minutes. They always went up by five times more than what their starting level was. And testosterone burns fat, increases muscle, increases your metabolism, does all those things. Um, they also found that their arms and chest size grew by two inches and never exercised their arms or chest. They just had them, excuse me, do a very vigorous squat program. So what I tell my patients to do if they want to burn calories faster other than changing their diet, if they really want to do something, do at least 20 squats a day. Now for everybody it's different. Some, some people that are more athletic can do 50. Pick whatever numbers is the last two or three are nearly impossible to do. So if you can do 25 and you can't get to 27 or 28, then 25 is your number. Add five every day. They don't, all have, they don't all have to be done at once. You do 10 in the morning, 10 at noon, 10 later on, whatever. Just keep adding five every day. By the end of the month, add up all those 300 calories you just burned. It's a lot, a lot of calories. It accelerates weight loss significantly. So definitely, um, if you're going to exercise, please do the correct exercises. 
those are the one, the resistance training ones for weight loss. Um, the aerobics and all that are good for your heart, but even resistance training, if you do squats for two minutes, your heart is going to be racing. So even that is considered an aerobic exercise to a certain extent. But you've got to get your heart rate up 60 to 80 percent of your age predicted maximum. Um, and it's not always that easy. And, and walking doesn't you usually do it. Do you have any questions on that? Uh, are water aerobics considered the same as water aerobics are a little bit of both because you're, you're you're using resistance against water if you're swimming or moving your legs or walking in the water it is a little bit of both it's and swimming is one of the highest calorie burning um, exercises you can do actually because you're you got resistance training you're pushing against water with your, your big muscle groups and you're getting your heart rate way up so it's a little bit of both do you guys have questions about it? So, if you were to take anything away from this tonight, and we're going to have a nice demonstration on healthy food, um, the most important thing of all is what? Eating. No. <laughs> Stop smoking times 10. Stop eating. Right? You can't change your genetics. All right? You can't change your genetics. So don't, you know, the blood pressure, the cholesterol, and the diabetes, we have to use medication to alter that. There's certain things you can do with your lifestyle that will help a lot, but usually you're going to need medications. Most people do. But the things that you can change are you can stop smoking and you could stop eating as much. Portion size is the main Portion sizes are very, very important. And they say eat out of a small plate instead of a big plate. Exactly you never right. Never fill it. Once. You're exactly right. What I tell my patients, that's a very good trick, is fill your plate up with one-third of what you used to eat. So take one of your plates, instead of filling it up all the way at home, you can use smaller plates too, that trick works, but fill it up with one-third of what you used to eat. Eat it all, and then use a timer, weigh exactly 20 minutes. It takes at least 20 minutes for your stomach to tell your brain that you're full. It's a very delayed hormonal response. If after 20 minutes you're still hungry, go back and fill your plate again with just a third eat it, wait 20 minutes again. Um, the other important thing is you have to eat small frequent meals throughout the day. Um, if you, The problem with people who do something called bolus eating, like they skip breakfast, don't eat, skip lunch, and then they finally eat a huge dinner, your body thinks you're starving. You go all day without eating, suddenly you have this enormous meal, your body thinks you were in a famine and it needs to store all of this as fat so that tomorrow morning's gonna be another famine. So it's got to use all that energy up. So your body stores that all this fat, and your body becomes a very, very efficient fat-storing machine. They found that if you took people um, and you made them yo-yo diet, where they gain weight, then lose it, gain weight, then lose it, gain weight, then lose it, they would lose lean muscle and fat. They would lose muscle and fat. But when they gain it back, they don't gain back muscle. They gain back mostly fat. And then they yo-yo diet again. They lose even more lean muscle and fat. And then they gain back mostly fat. And then you end up with almost no muscle and all fat. Um, so that yo-yo that dieting is, is, is not very helpful. The reason you want to eat small frequent meals throughout the day is you want to keep your blood sugar levels even keeled. You don't want really high spikes in your blood sugar and really low lows. When your blood sugar spikes, like let's say you drank a big thing of orange juice or pancake with syrups, um, your blood sugar spikes, your body releases a ton of insulin and that just tells it to take all those calories you just ate and store it as fat. So you want to eat things that don't cause huge spikes um, in your blood sugar, um, and, and what are what are what are simple carbohydrates? Do you guys know what simple carbohydrates are? Those are things that cause the, the highest 
blood sugar spike, or they call it glycemic index, high glycemic index. If you took a tablespoon of sugar and ate it, and we checked your, your blood glucose a little bit after that, one, that would be considered 100. It raises your sugar uh, at 100. There are things that raise your sugar even more than table sugar. Cornflakes is one of them, uh, baked potatoes, maltose, which is the sugar in beer. Um, those kind of things raise your sugar even more than table sugar. Um, so you want to avoid those things. So, so simple carbs, you guys know what simple carbs are? Those raise your sugar the highest. Um, those are things like bread, pasta, sugar, um, what else? Cookies, cake, anything made with flour. Uh, cookies, cake, muffins, like what we just <laughs> ate, like frosting, <laughs> sprinkles. Uh, sounds real good. But the, those things all raise your sugars. And then the more you pre-cook or pre-process your food, the easier it is for your stomach to get at the sugars. So if you took a sliced tomato and sliced it up and ate it, like uncooked and raw, it's, it's okay. As soon as you cook it and turn it into a tomato sauce and then put it in a can, the more you process it, the next time when you eat that spaghetti sauce, it's already pre-cooked and processed. Your stomach gets at the sugars instantly and your blood sugar spikes and it'll end up storing it as fat. Same thing with like carrots. If you ate an uncooked carrot, you just peeled it and ate it, it's fine. You almost don't even digest it. Um, but if you steam it and then cook it and then cream it, it becomes caramelized and it's much easier for your body to get at the sugars and then you end up um, getting an insulin spike and gaining weight. Um, baked potato actually is one of the worst foods with the highest glycemic index. I know everyone thinks it's healthy because it's not fried, it's not french fries. But a baked potato, um, you're taking a very starchy vegetable, a very carbohydrate-filled vegetable, you're pre-cooking it by you baking it, and then you smash it up and make mashed potatoes sometimes, or you put whatever you want on it, but you, you eat it, you chew it, it goes into your stomach, the sugars are instantly um, available and, and your blood sugar spikes. The same thing with like an apple. If you took an apple and just cut it up and ate it with the peel, it's fine, but as soon as you juice it, you just strained out all the fiber. Your stomach has to work hard to get the sugars out of the fiber. All that you know, nice white stuff and peel that, that makes it hard to get at the sugars, you, you eliminate that by juicing it, and now you've got this pure sugar water that you're drinking, and liquid sugars are the easiest for your stomach uh, to get at the sugars, any juices or sugary drinks. Yeah? What about applesauce that there's no peeling at all, there's no sugar added, it's just cooked and then rice? Yeah, it, it, that, it's almost the same thing. It's not as bad as the ones where they add sugar, but you're basically pre-processing it for your stomach. Now, if that's all you eat, um, you know, that, that's okay, and, and you don't look like uh, anyone that needs to lose weight anytime soon. But anytime you process something, um, even, even just not even adding sugar to it, you're making the sugars more available uh, to your stomach. But if that's what you like, and, and you don't really like anything else, then, then just have at it. I think you're okay. What's the best way to, uh, you talk about eating the peeling of an apple, what's the best way to clean it? Because they spray it and rub it and do all this other stuff. Well, the amount of like, you know, stuff that's on the apples is negligible. Just use some dish soap and, and wash it real good and scrub it off. They're afraid that there's still some like leftover residual fertilizer or arsenic or something on it. Um, but just, I mean, it's not true, but you know, you see these things online all the time about, don't eat apples and fruits. Well, I want people to eat apples and fruits. Um, the amount of stuff that's left over on there is not very much. And nowadays, they almost coat them in wax so that yeah. nothing can get in. It's just a benign wax. But you could wash it with soap, just dish soap, and clean it off. It'll be fine. Well, what about bananas? Bananas, bananas and, and mangoes and pineapples are the highest in sugar of all the fruits you can eat. Oh, yeah. 
What about the yeah. and, and the peel, the banana peel? Well, no one's going to eat banana peels. Do. Oh, you do? Did you? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I, put it, I put it in my smoothie. Oh, okay. So you just put a whole banana in yeah. there. Okay, I gotcha. Um, I'm not sure. I've never tried banana peel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know, but I, I the, the meat of the banana is much more sugary than the peel. So, you know, it's really the whole banana that's sugary. <clears throat> So rather than having like a glass of apple juice in the morning, it's better to have a few slices of apple? Yes, exactly. It's much better to eat a few slices of apple in the morning than drinking the juice. And I always tell people, don't drink your calories, all right? Because they've done studies where they took patients, they gave, they overfed um, half of them 450 calories. They, they overfed all of them 450 calories extra. Half of the group got liquid calories, half of them got solids. Um, and the group that ate liquids never felt full. And even though we were giving them more calories, they never felt full, and they always ended up eating more during the day, whereas the group that was overfed 450 solid calories ended up eating less overall in, in the rest of the day. So it's not as filling. There, ha there has to be um, something with the stomach stretching and the stomach uh, releasing signals from stretching and having to churn food, whereas if you just drink liquid, um, it goes down, your, your stomach really doesn't do anything, and, and you, you, you still feel hungry. Um, the other thing about diet drinks, do diet drinks cause weight loss? Anybody know for weight gain? Are they a good substitute? No. No, no. no. why is that? It's, a, it's good that you all know that. We didn't know in the past. In the past, we thought, well, just drink diet drinks. There's no calories in it. But now we know. There's studies came out within the last two years where they studied women, actually, um, 60,000 of them. They found the ones that drank diet pop actually gained weight and were overall more obese, um, and they ended up drinking more. The sugar, the sweeteners that are in Diet Pop still cause that same insulin uh, release. Your body thinks you're eating something sweet and it still increases your sugar. So even though you drank a Diet Pop with your cheeseburger and french fries or baked potato or whatever, <laughs> um, it will store the rest of the calories as fat. You know, there's no calories in that drink, but it will store the other calories that you ate as fat. Whereas people who drank the regular uh, pop, they felt fuller, they ate less calories throughout the day, and they, and, and they ended up not being uh, as overweight as the other ones. So we know now that even diet drinks still cause weight gain because it has the same response. What's your opinion of these energy drinks that these people are drinking so many of? Um, in terms of what? They give you energy, energy for a moment? And, or what? They do. Most of those energy drinks have B vitamins and caffeine in them and sometimes like a few other random, more rare exotic things like chlorine and taurine and all this stuff. Um, it's a lot of times it's just caffeine. They got a bad reputation because some people have an underlying conduction disorder in their heart and were getting really fast heart rhythms and some of them even died from it. Um, but if you've had caffeine and those kind of drinks in the past and, and you haven't had anything, it's probably not an issue. But that's a very bad way to discover that you have that. If it's the first time you drink one and you have a really fast heart rate in the 280, you know, 280 beats per minute or something like that, you could die from that. Um, but if it's just caffeine and like some vitamins, it's probably not an issue. Um, just watch out for the amount of calories that are in there. I never drink them, and that's the reason I was wondering. But you see a lot of teenagers especially walking around. Yeah, they do. Teenagers try all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the Red Bulls and, and Monster drinks and all that stuff. Um, any other questions on anything? Yeah. As long as you're not eating a whole lot of calories 
during the day, you're okay. The, the sweeteners just cause you to store the other calories, but if you're not eating that many, it's okay. Uh, but they found that it gives you that same response with the, in, the, sh the insulin spikes and all that. Um, there was another interesting study done where they took inmates. <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, they took inmates way back before the rules were written. They, they, they overfed. They overfed half of them, and they underfed half of them for about six months, and then let them left them alone. The group that, that was overfed gained weight, and the group that was underfed lost weight, and then they just left them alone. Six, seven months later, they all got back to their normal weights. The group that gained weight got back to whatever, and then the group that lost weight got back to whatever. They all got back to their normal weights, so they, they ended up finding there's something called a set point. Your body has something called a set point. It likes to keep you at the weight you're at. All of my weight loss patients that come in, they lose 10, 15, 20 pounds, then they get stuck. They get stuck at like, you know, 220, where they can't break through for like four or five weeks. Your body has a protective mechanism where it tries to protect you from losing weight because back when we were cave uh, men and women, um, you had long stretches of time without food and, and sometimes you had to go find food and it was really hard. So your body developed all these protective mechanisms to not uh, let that happen. So they had the set point and the only way they found that, that you can readjust that set point is to to make people lose weight, get them to a new weight, and have them stay at that new weight for at least nine months or 12 months, so almost a year. If we can get you down to like, let's say 150, and keep you at 150 for about a year, then your body will work to keep you at 150. You, you, don't, you don't even have to try anymore almost. Your body works very hard at keeping you at that weight, as long as it now thinks that's your weight, which takes a while to do. So all these people that lose weight quickly and then suddenly gain it back or start gaining it back is because they haven't stayed at their new weight long enough. You have to work really hard. And then a lot of it is it also becomes a lifestyle. You lose weight, you start eating healthier, you eat less, you become used to this, and then it just kind of perpetuates and you stay with that. But if you go back to your old eating habits, um, it's, you, know, you end up gaining weight and it's, it's not that helpful. So try as hard as you can if you do lose weight to stay at that new weight for at least nine months or, or a year if you can so that your body isn't fighting against you to get you back up. All right, and we don't do studies on inmates anymore. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, what's, what's better for you, coffee or tea? <laughs> what's better for you, coffee or tea? Um, or neither. I, I drink both, I don't know. Coffee has been shown actually to improve colon cancer. Um, and help with help prevent you know help decrease the incidence of colon cancer. People who drink coffee, they found have less uh, colon cancer. Um, I'm assuming it's the caffeine that's in it. Um, and green tea and, and various teas have always had antioxidant uh, effects. They've actually done studies on antioxidants. All these people that take vitamin E. Anybody take vitamin E? E and C. All these antioxidants. Well, good. No one wants to admit to it. But if you take vitamin E in pill form, they've actually done studies. If you take pill antioxidants, your mortality goes up. Your cardiovascular risk and mortality goes up means you're more likely to die um, than people who don't. But if you eat the antioxidants, like you eat the fruits and vegetables, like blueberries, strawberries, apples, you know, almost any nut, um, raisins, cranberries, if you eat any of that natural stuff, your mortality goes down, like green tea is also an antioxidant. So they found if you try to supplement by taking uh, antioxidant pills, you're actually increasing your chance of dying. Um, so anytime my patients come in on vitamin E, I just tell them to stop. Because you, know, you don't want to die any sooner than you have to. Any other, any other questions?
about women you all need calcium obviously and you need a lot of a lot of calcium and you all need vitamin D men too almost 80% of people north of Atlanta are vitamin D deficient um, they took medical students in Massachusetts at Harvard Law, uh, Medical School they just randomly tested young people they were all vitamin D deficient uh, we never get enough vitamin D and that's what you get from the Sun exposure uh, we're always indoors we're always air-conditioned we're always putting on sunblock and cover up and and nobody ever uh, gets enough vitamin D. So definitely get vitamin D because it helps uh, absorb the calcium better. Um, and you all definitely need uh, calcium uh, because it's always low. The problem with osteoporosis is it's a disease of your teenage years. If you had enough calcium and did enough exercise in your teenage years, you wouldn't get osteoporosis when you're 60, 70, and 80. But it's almost too late to treat it once you're that age. But you still need to take as much calcium and they got all kinds of fancy new medications um, that they can use for that now. But definitely all women need calcium and everybody needs vitamin D. That's the only two supplements I think you should really use. In pill form. In pill form, yes. Has chocolate milk got as much calcium in it as white milk? Milk in general does not have enough calcium or vitamin D in it. The amount of vitamin D in, in any milk is 200 units. You need at least two to 3,000 a day. Um, and the amount of calcium in there is not a whole lot either. It's like 400. Um, the pills that you guys take for, for uh, supplementation are at least 800 of calcium. You gotta take them uh, at least twice a day. You can never overdose on uh, calcium. It, it can constipate you though, uh, but it's, you'd just poop it out if you took too much. <laughs> so. That's what we do with everything we eat anyway. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, but don't worry about you know too much calcium. It, it's almost impossible to overdose on. Um, but it will definitely constipate you. Nobody likes that. <laughs> Do you guys have any other questions? All right, well, if you do have any, you can always find me on the internet. Just go to MohammedAllo.com. I'm also on like Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and almost any, any internet option you have. I have my card on all the tables. If you want more, just let me know. Um, and just feel free, you can go on my website and email me. You could call the office, I'll talk to you, I mean, whatever you want. Okay? It's not